0: CHAPTER Eight, YEAR 858. P.X.F. WINTER The deep chill of winter still clung to the estate's eaves and icy corners of the courtyard. The feast of new dawn's beginning had come and gone from the Corvermain residence. As tradition firmly dictated, Toman toasted in the dawn of the new year along with his staff. Lifting watered-down cider Tomen had dutifully provided, The staff gathered in the courtyard at first light, while he, Veronique, and Talon raised their glasses from behind the balustrade atop the main stairs leading to the front doors of the estate. Toman, dressed in heavy fur-lined cloak and festive woolen outer robes, delivered the traditional toast with feigned vigor. Veronique was the picture of vintage New Dawn's beginning with her attire, cascading curls, and makeup. Conversely, Talon's attire more closely resembled that of the lower staff other than being exceptionally tailored and that some of them had actually attempted to look festive. Having taken charge of his wardrobe the year earlier, his dress for the event was functionally formal rather than flamboyant. On Talon's insistence, and copious amounts of extra coin, the clothier he retained crafted all of his outfits to his specifications, using only fabrics of plain design with tailoring befitting his size and mass, regardless of current style or trend. After lifting a glass with his parents, Talon would have preferred to descend into the courtyard to spend the day with Balanon and Michal, enjoying Miss Haddington's hearty breakfast fare that she would begin serving from the kitchen soon. There was even a chance the commander might join them, instead of taking his meals alone in his rooms. However, his father's sense of propriety forbade it. After receiving a backhanded compliment on his outfit from Toman, which he did not acknowledge, and a disparaging look from Veronique, Talon followed them inside to the sterile celebration prepared to Toman’s exacting specifications by the upper staff for them. New Dawn's beginning was the primary holiday observance of the deity known as the Storyteller. One of the very few universally recognized household gods of not just the Zalian Empire but across the world of Valknor, the Storyteller crafted the tales that molded and shaped the present circumstance of people everywhere. Part fate, Part destiny, part self determination, the diminutive deity that traveled the continents was considered a harbinger of great things, good or ill. New Dawn's Beginning was considered the day that the storyteller turned the page on a new chapter for the world, Quill poised above paper to begin writing anew. After their formal morning meal in the dining room and adjourning to the library for Veronique's recitation of the myth of the storyteller's appearance at the first shadow fire atop Limehold Peak, Talon was finally able to retire to his rooms. Formalities out of the way, he planned to head to the kitchen in search of more lively company. Just as he finished changing his clothes into something better suited to the downstairs celebration, there was a knock at his door. A member of the upper staff handed Talon an envelope sealed with wax emblazoned with his father's coat of arms. Talon's father had summoned him to his private study. In all his nineteen years, Talon only had the hazy childhood memory of once being in his father's study, but he had never been called to it. Talon considered changing back into his holiday clothes, but as his wardrobe was one of his few acts of open rebellion against his parents, he decided against it. Instead, dressed to his own standard, Talon entered the forbidden study with neither pause nor hesitation and stood before his father's desk, awaiting the cause of the summons. I have
1: arranged a duel his father announced flatly. It is to be against one of your distant cousins. Do not embarrass me, or prove that I have wasted coin on the training I provided you. Talon bristled
0: at the implication and audacity of his father taking credit for his training. But then he paused. There was something behind his father's words. A cunning and manipulation aimed directly at Talon. At first, he questioned his senses, wondering if he had mistaken the internal antics of the voice as something outside himself, but that was not the case. A predator was in this room stalking prey, thinking itself hidden, waiting to strike. Deceptively, Talon let his original bristling at his father's words remain on his face, even though he no longer felt them,
1: and through feigned, clenched teeth, replied, As you say, father. That is all. The duel is three days hence. Talon, taking the dismissal, turned on his heel and left. As he
0: walked back to his chambers and then on to the kitchens, Talon could feel that there was a pressure building, like a boil coming to a head and needing lancing. Talon tried to set it behind himself as he headed down to the celebration below, knowing all he could do was be ready and hope he could meet the challenge. Year 858 PXF Winter The intervening days passed more quickly than Talon would have liked. Not that he doubted the commander's training, but more Talon knew enough not to overestimate his skills or underestimate his opponent. The retinue containing his opponent and observers to the duel arrived on the third day just after mid morning. No fanfare or reception was held at the Corvermain estate, just quiet acknowledgement that their visitors had entered the courtyard. Whatever blood tied these two factions of the Corvermain family together, the animosity they harbored toward each other was no secret. The only exception was a young girl of no more than six years of age, who was chided continuously to remain in the visitor's carriage after finding excuse after excuse to leave it. Semi-whispered admonishments of Serena through clenched teeth and pursed lips were the only noise to break the silent gathering. Talon entered the courtyard training area to what seemed like a crowd compared to the emptiness of the one-on-one training with the commander of the last two and a half years. While there were less than half a dozen onlookers, Talon felt the weight of their eyes upon his opponent and himself. His adversary was half a hand shorter than himself and considerably lighter. However, his choice of studded leather armor rather than the chain and breastplate that Talon wore spoke volumes of his speed and agility. Hawk-like amber eyes sized up Talon as they estimated strengths and weaknesses, just as Talon's hazel eyes also assessed his opponent. There were no introductions or formalities, just stepping into position and the commander's voice. Begin. His rival made the first attack, glaive whipping out like a lightning bolt. His glaive was shorter than Talon's, but still had enough reach for Talon to need to block the strike instead of just dodging. Just as they had countless times before in his bouts with the commander, the chains of possibility unfurled in Talon's mind, but with this new opponent, the links were blank, just as he intended. Talon retaliated with a wicked spin strike, his opponent having to bend nearly in half in order to avoid it. Strike and counter, maneuver and dodge, the first five minutes brought hardly a blow landed by either combatant. Had Talon been trained by anyone other than the commander, the untrained eye would have said the two were evenly matched. The experienced eye would even wager that Talon would tire first due to his size and heavier armor, placing their money on his opponent. The only real tell as to how the battle was going was the ever-so-slight upward tilt to the commander's lip. He knew exactly what was happening. While the commander still didn't know about the chains in Talon's mind, he could see Talon's strategy. Talon was learning. In his mind, Talon was testing and cataloging his opponent's skills on the chains, link by link, junction by junction, discovering the entirety of his opponent's arsenal. Talon forged this knowledge with confidence. When finally satisfied that he knew all he needed, Talon let the chains fade from his mind and began his work. Once he started, Talon's body moved instinctively, as though he had faced this opponent a hundred times before. The battle broke quickly and hard an onslaught of blows without pause or counter. A series so precise and accurate in their intuition, the blade or shaft of Talon's glaive seemed to magically appear in the space his opponent or his opponent's weapon would soon occupy. In less than 45 seconds, the duel went from looking to be an even draw to Talon's opponent bleeding from a dozen wicked slashes and his glaive laying on the ground ten yards away. With blade to his opponent's throat, Talon snarled. Yield! Eyes set, testing Talon's resolve, his rival clenched his jaw and stood silent. Thoroughly finished with the games of his parents, his greater family, and his opponent, Talon, leaving his blade to his opponent's throat, broke eye contact. He looked over his shoulder, out the courtyard gates, and toward the woods, where the spring lay beyond them. It was then that he heard his opponent's scoff. Whipping his head around, Talon slammed into his opponent with the ironwood shaft of his glaive, lifting him off his feet and slamming him to the ground. He dropped with his full weight, landing his knee on his opponent's upper left arm, hearing both the satisfying pop of the shoulder dislocating and the crack of bone breaking. Then, drawing his dagger, Talon sliced off the chest guard of the leather armor his rival wore, exposing the left portion of his chest above his heart. Taking the blade, he scored a curved line, and then another, deep into his opponent's flesh, creating a curved V-shape, like that of a falcon's talon. Echoed words then came from his throat. Today, you are dead. The dead do not have the privilege of yielding. They only have their scars. With but a glance and nod, the commander threw talon the pouch of white crystalline powder, Pouring the powder into his hand, Talon then smeared it into the wound. Yield! The word was a scream, drawn out and piercing. The young girl, Serena, covered her ears from the horrible wail, hiding her face in the petticoats of her nurse. Talon stood and strode back to his rooms, without even a look to his father or the onlookers. Had Talon spared his father even one slight glance... He would have seen a smile as dark as all the pits of the nine hells contorting his sire's face. Upon returning to his chamber, Talon bathed and dressed, preparing himself for what was next. It was mid afternoon when once again a sealed summons came, and Talon proceeded to his father's study. When he entered, he saw that a thin wooden case sat upon his father's desk, long enough to overhang each side by a foot. The case was ornately carved and made of dark rosewood, unlike any species Talon had ever seen. He could not help but feel the same stalking predator from the previous meeting within the room. His father's well-trained, stoic countenance could not hide the calculating malevolence behind his eyes. Tommen
1: began with an even tone, and no more emotion than the rehearsed toast he gave for New Dawn's beginning. Talon. Our family line has awaited this day for many generations. Finally, the day when what should have been ours by right is returned to us. Toman walked to the case and opened the hinged lid. The return of the vermilion blade of Coa Vermain. Tommen presented a glaive of extraordinary artistry,
0: the shaft made from the same deep red rosewood as the case. The wood was obviously from an older specimen explicitly cultivated for this usage, as the grain was so fine as to be similar to steel Mikal had hardened through folding hundreds of times. The glaive was as fearsome as any Talon had ever seen, and seemed to reflect a crimson light that was not present in the study. The blade, consisting of elegant curves intersecting in wicked points and crescent barbs intended to grab and remove weapons and limbs alike, was terrifying and beautiful. It was difficult to perceive the weapon, even looking at it directly. The glaive seemed of a bigger scale than the case that contained it. Before Talon could reach out to touch it,
1: Tommen interjected, To take this weapon is to fulfill a contract. It is not something one returns once claimed. I saw today that you are indeed my son in all aspects. The core of blood flows strongly in your veins. I saw that our ancestral weapon is yours to claim. With eyes only on the vermilion
0: blade, Talon pulled it from the case. Once free of its confines, the glaive revealed its full size. It was over ten feet long, and the terrifying bladed portion was almost as large as a broadsword. The web of chains exploded into his vision around him, resonating in triumph. Talon realized they were not a part of him. But of the vermilion blade, and they had been calling out and assisting him even before he claimed the weapon. Talon grabbed the glaive's harness from where it lay within the case and slipped it over his head and shoulder as if by instinct. He spun the vermilion blade over his shoulder and fitted it on his back. The enchantment on the case seemed to carry to the harness as well. The weapon that had been so imposing in scale in Talon's hand now fit comfortably diagonally across his back the blade barely a hand's width higher than the top of his head. Offering no thanks or taking even a moment for recognition from his father, Talon left the confinement of the study to return to his chambers on the floor above. A few minutes after Talon arrived, the case for the vermilion blade was delivered to his rooms as he was pacing the floor lost in thought. A delighted thrill emanated from the place deep inside his mind where the voice resided. The chain, which was usually just a weight on him and one that he had felt he had mastered through his training, hummed with a dull recognition of the vermilion blade slung across his back. So disconcerting was that thrum in his soul that Talon did something he had not done for almost two years. He disarmed himself, placing the vermilion blade in its case. He left the case and glaive where the servant had put them in the sitting parlor of his rooms and retired to his bedchamber to think. Laying down on the bed, he closed his eyes to summon the calming energy of his forms and stances. That is when the Vermilion Blade's influence began. That arrogant prat Rabian never was worthy of such a weapon. Talon had never heard his opponent's name uttered. He was sure of it, but Rabian was assuredly his name as his own was Talon. The thought that had passed through his head was his own but also somehow not. Talon tried to be concerned about it, but the voice assured him it was of no concern at all.
1: Your mark is the mark of death.
0: It will be feared as you will be. Talon saw in his mind the curved V he carved and scarred into Rabian's chest, and felt pride. Pride in knowing this power was his. The vision wavered in his mind like a reflection on water. His mark was no longer on Rabian's chest, but on his face. It felt right to be there for all to see, for all to fear. It shifted then from crossing Rabian's eye to gouging it out. Talon imagined pouring the white powder into the empty socket and the screams that would flood forth. On the bed, Talon's now-sleeping form smiled at the thought. Your reputation will grow, and none will stand against you, your power and might expanding with your stature and strength. In his mind, Talon saw the Vermilion Blade swing in massive arcs, cutting down all who stood in his way. A trail of defeated foes lay behind him as he crossed a vast countryside. As each challenger fell, the Vermilion Blade grew larger, as did Talon, Soon, Talon's heroic form was standing head and shoulders above even his most powerful enemies, his glaive defeating whole squads of knights in a single blow, his heroic deeds and stature becoming the stuff of legends and songs. Talon's ego reveled in this newfound vision of strength and power, and even though he found elation in the easy victories, he bristled for a worthy challenge. While the front of his mind bathed in the majesty of the vision, a tiny whisper Separate from the Vermilion Blade's influence, secretly turned Talon's inner eye backward over what lay behind him. It was not a trail of defeated foes marked and scarred with his V as the blade directed him to imagine, but one of corpses, viscera, and blood. The defilement he and the Vermilion Blade wrought leached into the fields and forests of the countryside he called home. Wells that once drew clear water, now produced only filth and decay, with dark figures chanting over their corrupted depths. And above them all, Talon's father, Toman Corvermain, was sitting on a throne made of skulls and gore. You will free Elerian from the Empire, and then claim the Imperial Throne yourself. The blood of the true rulers of this world will rise to their rightful place again, with you as their champion. Talon was now practically a giant within his vision, no longer corporeal but ascended to something glorious and mighty. A vast array of dark chains, identical to the ones he used in battle except for their now massive scale, emanated from him in all directions, blanketing the countryside. Huge, dark-winged shapes flew over his shoulders, unleashing fire, ash, and poison on the land below. Thousands of banners, with his mark emblazoned upon them, led his scarred armies beyond count. Leading one of the armies was the one-eyed limping form of Rabian, now his general and attached to his form with one of the massive black chains. At the ends of other chains, far-flung members of the Corvermain bloodline led squads of troops. Even Serena, now grown with wild hair and sharpened teeth, was marching with him. They marched in every direction to flood the cities of Limehold, Jadenpool, and Lyria Bay. All the continent's capitals and beyond would fall to his might. As the vision of his armies faded, Talon opened his eyes to the familiar rocky plateau from the day he mastered the chains. Under a blood-red sunless sky... Talon found his normally scaled body wrapped in the web of chains that had once been his allies, but now they bound him and dragged him toward a precipice marking a descent into an endless night. He knew that chasm had already claimed a part of his soul, as he finally saw where the original black chain he had first witnessed at Milgren's Orchard led, and the vermilion blade was now collecting the balance. There was no fighting what was pulling him. The chains drawing him closer merged and grew in size as he got closer to the edge. Then, the small whisper that had shown him the truth in the vision intervened again, not as a voice, but as a torrent of fire and light. A blinding blaze erupted before Talon, flooding the plateau in verdant sunlight, dispelling all but the most robust chains of the web that bound him. As the few remaining chains continued dragging him forward to the edge and the fall into darkness, the heat of that shining sun saved Talon, not by its burning intensity, but by invoking his memories. The heat that washed over Talon was the familiar heat of Mikal's forge. It was the warmth of morning tea in Riken's room behind the flue, and the hours upon hours he had spent reading his lessons while Mikal and Riken worked. It was shared jokes, secret ciders, and even uncontrolled coughing as they tried smoking the horse groom's pipe. Riken and all those he cared about had been missing from every vision the blade had given him. That omission caused Talon to realize the glaive had no concept of anything outside itself and the dark desires of his family. The warmth of a forge that had somehow become Talon's real home confounded the cursed glaive, for something other than blood relation and self-interest to bind people together. Was an anathema. What remained of the Vermilion Blade's web of chains dissolved, leaving just the original dark chain left unshattered. The last chain, locked in place mere moments after his birth, still held tight, extending from within him out over the precipice and deep into the darkness below. However, alone, it could not bind his will. Talon was able to turn his back on the plateau, the darkness, and the Vermilion Blade's promises he walked away. Talon awoke with a start and sat up in bed as though his head had been underwater and he had been drowning. He jumped up to check on the vermilion blade, but it was still in its case on the table where he had left it. From across the room, the glaive seemed to glower at Talon in anger. From its response, Talon knew the weapon was still bound to him by whatever laws governed it, but without the ability to dominate his will. Talon crossed the sitting room to the case and lifted the vermilion blade out of its confines, permitting it to grow to its full scale and mass. You are defeated, and the defeated have only their scars. Talon furrowed his brow and willed his mark at the consciousness of the vermilion blade. Where blade met shaft, across steel and rosewood, the curved V of Talon's mark grudgingly manifested, as though branded there.